Uh-oh. Oh, man, you guys caught me napping on the job. Sorry about that. I got to tell you what, I love taking naps, and it feels like I never get to take them anymore. Maybe you feel the same way. I also have to tell you, I haven't always liked taking a nap. When I was a kid on the mission field, my mom used to have to chase me around the mission uh, station and then grab me and then stick me in a bed and make me at least pretend I was sleeping. I just couldn't do it. I just knew if I was going to take a nap, I was going to miss out on something really, really important. Now, I am sure that I'm not the only nap rebel out there. So I'd like you to raise your hand. Come on, everybody, admit if you are a nap rebel. Let me see your hand. All right, that's what I thought. Not the only one. I got to tell you what. Now, now I really wish I could take naps. In fact, I'd be so happy if my mom would just call me up and say, Son, you need to make sure you take your nap. I would totally comply. I can tell you what, I would not run away. I would be happy she wouldn't need to chase me. The problem is, I live in the same kind of world you do. And that's the kind of world where, well, taking a nap is seen as a sign of weakness or laziness. Taking a day off is perceived as something really bad. Yep, it's not a new phenomenon. It's been going on for a long time. Even the ancients had a real problem with people taking a day off or sleeping. Some Roman guy by the name of Seneca, well, he was a statesman and a philosopher, and I want you to listen to what he said about the Jewish concept of a Sabbath. To spend every seventh day without doing anything means to lose a seventh part of life. Besides suffering loss and pressing matters from such idleness. Sounds like a really fun guy to hang out with, doesn't he? But it's not just the ancients. Have you ever heard of uh, Bill Gates? Well, Bill Gates was being interviewed. He was actually being asked why he doesn't believe in God. And he made the statement. Listen to him. He said, just in terms of allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on Sunday mornings. Hmm. So Seneca thought, it's what Bill Gates thinks, it's what a lot of people in our culture think today. The big question for me, though, is what does God think? What does God think about taking a day off? What's he think about a nap? What's he think about rest in your life, in the life of your family? To answer that question, let's turn to God's word. We're back in our series, How to Build a Successful Family. And I want you to turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. If you're using the chair Bibles, that's, I think, about page 54. You want to open up there. And let's see what God has to say about our need to take a day off. Exodus, chapter 20, and I'm going to start reading at verse 8. It says, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but God has more to say in the Ten Commandments about the Sabbath than he does about murder or adultery. Say, why is that? It's because it's very, very important to God. God knows that the Sabbath has as much to do with us 
as it has to do with him. In fact, if you page back a little bit further in the Bible, the book of Genesis, you'll read something else that God has to say about the Sabbath. Listen to what he said. Let me read it for you. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. Because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now, obviously, God didn't need to rest. God does not get tired. But there's a sense in which God just needed to step back like an artist would from their painting and just look at what he had done and to enjoy himself. And God wants us to have the same joy. And so really, the Sabbath is a gift that God gives to you and that God gives to me to enjoy. The question is, how do we, how do we enjoy the Sabbath? How do we reap the benefits that God has intended for us and our families in the Sabbath? Why should we teach our kids? Why should we teach our students how to observe the, sta- the Sabbath and why it should be such an important part of their lives? Well, I think to understand what's going on here, we've got to retrain ourselves a little bit. And if you want to jot this thought down, I think it's worthwhile. First of all, you and I have to start by thinking differently about God if we're really going to reap the benefits that come with the Sabbath. Here's what I mean. A lot of us go through the week and we are bombarded by all kinds of pressure, all kinds of stress. There's physical pressure and stress. There's spiritual stress that comes into our life. There certainly is a lot of relational stress in our lives. How many of you this week experienced some relational stress in your life? Let me see those hands. Probably for the person sitting next to you, right? Just kidding. Don't worry about it. All right. But we all experience physical, relational stress. We experience the spiritual stress I've talked about. We experience mental stress. We experience, you know, our emotions being riled up by kinds of all kinds of things. And when that happens, I don't know how you feel, but sometimes it kind of rocks our world when it comes at us all at once. And sometimes it even challenges our faith. And if you go on week after week after week like that, it can really shake you up spiritually. And what God is saying is, I need you to step back at least once a week. Take one day a week and just step back and recharge spiritually and mentally and emotionally and relationally. And get the right perspective of me. Remember who I am. Don't let your problems and your troubles and your pressures crowd you out. Get right with me. David was no stranger to pressure in his life. He was no stranger to challenges that he faced. And over and over again in the Psalms, we hear David say things like, I need to back off and trust God. For instance, in Psalm 62, we read these words. I wait quietly before God. For my victory comes from him. He alone, did you hear that? He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, where I will never be shaken. Finish it with me. Let's read together verse 5. Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. Do you hear David's heart? And I gotta back off. I, once a week, I've just gotta settle myself down and remember who God is and who I'm not and how big God is compared to the challenges and stresses I might be facing in my life. You know, one of the things that's interesting about the Jewish Sabbath is this that it starts at sunset and it ends at sunset. 
In other words, the Sabbath for the Jew begins with sleep and ends with sleep. And I, didn't, I don't know if you knew this or not, but there's something very profoundly spiritual about sleep because God, God created, he created us to need sleep and to sleep to teach us something very powerful spiritually speaking. I came across some words. I, I don't remember where I got these from, but I jotted them down and want to share them with you. And I want you to think about this in terms of sleep with me. Listen, sleep is a relinquishment of control, power of consciousness, of identity. You ever thought about that? When you fall asleep, you give up control. You give up control of your consciousness. In a sense, you give up control of your whole identity. It says we direct nothing in our sleep. And and a lot of us are used to directing a lot of things in our waking moments. But in our sleep, nothing like that happens. It says we master nothing. In sleep, we become infants again. Utterly vulnerable. Completely defenseless. And totally dependent Out of control. And I love this. Listen to what this person says. Sleep is an act of faith. Now as God is saying, one day a week, I want you to back off and stop trusting yourself. I want you to become vulnerable one day a week. One day a week, I want you to become like a child. And I just, I want you to totally depend on me. I want you to totally trust me. I want you to, I want you to lay down and I want you to take a nap. And I want you to enjoy me and I want you to enjoy your family. I want you to enjoy life. I just need you to chill out. That was the Dale translation. I just need you to chill out. One day out of seven. Take a nap. Psalm 4, verse 8 puts it like this. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. Do you have that faith? Do you have that confidence? Do you believe that God's going to watch over you and keep you and bless you if you'll just trust him? Just one day a week, God says. Back off from everything. Take a nap and trust me. But it's not just about learning to think differently about God. On the Sabbath, God wants something else to happen. The Sabbath, you see, is also an opportunity for us to think about the wonder of God. Like I already said, God kind of took a break and he looked at everything he did and he enjoyed himself like an artist. He he delighted in, in what he had created. And God wants us to do the same thing. Not just to glorify him, but listen to this. It's actually a benefit to us. To see the grandeur and the bigness of God. G.K. Chesterton tells a story that I love. He talks about a a young boy. And uh, this young boy has an opportunity. He'll be granted a wish. He can either become gigantic or he can become minuscule, very small. Now, he chose to become gigantic. And I thought it would be interesting to take a little survey uh, this weekend to see how many of you, if you had the choice, how many of you would choose to be gigantic? Yeah, I would too. I mean, that's, we always think about, oh, I wish I was bigger. I wish I was stronger. Well, that's what he wanted, and that's what he became. He became so gigantic that his head brushed against the clouds. And he waded through the Atlantic as though it were a shallow pond, and he scooped up the whales and held them in his hands and formed a bowl with his palms and swished them around like tadpoles. He kicked over mountain ranges. Because he could have. He could have stepped on them, but he didn't want to. He plucked California redwood trees and used them as his toothpick. 
And when he was tired, he laid across Iowa and Nebraska. He flopped his left arm over the Dakotas and his right arm over Kansas and Oklahoma. And he slept in the grass. It was marvelous. It was stupendous. It was exhilarating. And then one day, he got really bored. He began to dream and think about what it would have been like if he had chosen to be small, minuscule, Oh, man, his backyard, it would have been like an Amazonian forest. His gerbil would have been a large, furry, mammoth creature. He could have ridden on the back of a butterfly or gone spelunctering down a wormhole. A tub of ice cream would have been a winter wonderland where unimaginable winter adventures would have taken place. But he had chosen to be big instead of small. See, one day a week, God says, I want you to back off, and I want you to look at me, and I want you to think about me, and I want you to get your kids, your family, to look at me and think about me and observe all that I have done and just see how great and how grand I am. I remember uh, years ago, I was up in the Sierras in California, and I'd been fishing with some, uh, some friends and after we were done fishing, we were heading back to where we were camping. There was no city, no towns around anywhere. It was so dark that night. The sky was clear. We stopped the truck. We turned it off. We shut the lights off. We got out and we looked up and I felt like I could touch the stars. But I also remember looking at all those stars and feeling so small and so insignificant and being reminded of how just, just how great and how powerful and awesome God is. God says, I need you to do that once a week at least in your life so that you'll see me being bigger and greater than all that stress and all those troubles and all those problems that you're facing. See, when I see the greatness of God, what happens is all these things that I'm dealing with in my life, they suddenly become ever so small. How about you right now? Is God bigger than your issues? Is God bigger than your problems? Are you teaching your kids to see the bigness of God so they get the right perspective of the issues that they deal with in life? If you don't take a Sabbath, I tell you what's going to happen. All those things you face in life, they're going to mount up and they're going to feel like monsters and you're going to feel so overcome by them. But when you get along with God and you see God being who he is and how great he is, you know what? It allows you to get up every week and start that week knowing my God is great my God is big and, and I can do this by his grace and with his strength but the Sabbath isn't just about thinking differently about God and thinking about the wonder of God jot this down as well the Sabbath's also about realizing that, that God wants me to think differently about myself in other words God also gave you and your family the Sabbath so that you, we, I could think differently about myself, about yourself, about ourselves. Here's what I mean by that. Um, we have a tendency sometimes to think that we can do everything. That we have all the strength that we need to accomplish anything that's set before us. In fact, if you look at a lot of families, and I see this in western suburbs especially, they get so busy with life that what they do is, is they turn the weekends, all right, into 
an experience like they've had during the week. It becomes a time to catch up on homework. It becomes a time to catch up on housework. It becomes a time to catch up on all the bills. And then there are all the sports. And then there are all the activities. It is amazing. Some of us have the capacity to cram the equivalent of five days into two days. We finish the weekend and we've got a hangover. And it's almost like we're looking forward to the week. Because that when we, that's when we get a little bit of a rest, or a little bit of a break. But God has wired you and me in such a way that we cannot keep up that relentless kind of pace. God has made you and me such that we have to have a break in our lives. Because if we don't take a break in our lives, we end up getting a break in our body. We end up with a broken soul as a result. See, God purposely put a governor in our life. He, he purposely put a cap in our life. And the reason he did that is so that we would learn to depend on him rather than ourselves. Mark shares this word with us from our Lord Jesus. In Mark chapter 2, verse 27, it says this. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people. And not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Do you hear what Jesus is saying there? The Sabbath is for you. It's God's gift to you. It's time for you to recover physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, so that you can go through the week again. I mean, think about this for a minute. I want you to think about a cycle of weeks. I want you to think about starting with Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Let me put the graphic up for you. It looks like this, okay? We're going to start with seven, and then we're going to work our way through. Seven, that's Sunday. Then I got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then I hit what? That's right. I hit Sunday, the Sabbath. Then I go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Then I have the Sabbath. Then I go Monday, Tuesday. Say, Pastor, I, I've gotten it. I, I can figure it out by now. Do you have to keep repeating that? Yes, I have to keep repeating it. Why? Because we keep violating that. Do you see the rhythm that God created in creation? The rhythm is very simple. I need you to follow the pattern I designed for you because I built into you a need for rest Every seventh day in your life. David puts this way in the psalm, Psalm 90 verse 12. He says, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You hear what God is saying through his servant David? It's a sign of maturity and wisdom to see the design that God has created for us and to follow that design so that we experience God in a maximum way so we can deal with life. And not only is that important for me, but I have got to transpose that to my children. And I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings here today, but here in the western suburbs, we have a real problem with that. We've bought in the whole material mindset. And the material mindset says you go, 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 and you don't stop because you're never going to reap all the benefits of life if you aren't going 90 miles an hour. Well, let me ask you a question. What happens if you keep driving your vehicle and you never, ever change the oil? You know, you can run that thing for a long time, but eventually that car is going to break down. It has to have an oil change. Same thing is true in your life and my life. If I press and go and go and go all the time, something, as I've already said, is going to break down. I'm either going to have a heart attack, I'm going to have a stroke, I'm going to end up with cancer, I'm going to end up with insomnia, I'm going to be dealing with all kinds of stress. It may break my relationship with my wife, it may break my relationship with my husband, it may break my relationship with my kids. 
There are going to be consequences. I'm telling you what, if you violate the designer's way of having created you, you are going to suffer consequences. It's like running something that was not meant to be run more than a certain amount of hours without rest. And you and I have got to go against the grain of the culture. We've got to decide right now that we're not going to go the way of the world. That we are going to trust God. That we're going to do things God's way in order to experience God's blessing. We have to have the faith to believe that if we do trust God, he's going to work in our lives. Which takes us to the last thing I want you to jot down. We also need a Sabbath in our lives to remember that God is our provider. One of my favorite stories happens in the Old Testament when Moses is leading the children of Israel through the wilderness the challenge was how were they going to feed all these people? And they began to complain. Of course, Moses took the complaint to God and God said to Moses that he was going to provide for them. They just needed to trust. And so every morning from that moment on, they would wake up and there on the ground would be this stuff. They didn't know what to call it, so they named it manna, which means what is it? And it was like, a, it was like a, an angel food cake. It was a wafer that they would pick up and they would eat. And God told Moses to tell the children of Israel only to take what they needed for the day, never to take more than that. So you can imagine the scene. This is the first day. There's manna on the ground. Everybody's excited. And a whole bunch of them go out and they pick up exactly what they need. But there are quite a few who see that and go, oh, I think we'll keep a little extra for tomorrow. Be interesting to take a survey here and see how many of us would take just what we need and how many of us who are Dutch enough would be inclined to take a little bit for tomorrow. And the ones who took extra, when they woke up the following day, discovered that it had actually rotted. They learned their lesson. You trust God for the provision that he gives you for that day. But on the sixth day, God said to Moses, have them pick up extra for the seventh day because on the seventh day, I'm not going to put food out and they're going to need the extra. Sure enough, on the sixth day, the people went out, they collected the extra. And when they woke up on the Sabbath, guess what? It had not rotted. It was whole. It was fresh. It was there for them to eat. And that story was all about teaching them to trust God, to believe that that God could take care of them if they honored him on his Sabbath, if they depended on him. You say, Pastor, that that sounds really good. It's a nice Bible story. I like that and everything. I'm just not sure it works in the real world. Well, I'm here to tell you that it does work in the real world. I want to share with you a story from a fellow by the name of Truett Cathy, who is the founder of Chick-fil-A. And uh, Chick-fil-A is a restaurant that... uh, uh, is opening up all over the place. You'll find them everywhere in the south, but we finally get one here in the western suburbs. If you've driven by the Fox Valley Mall on 59, the sign is up. It's coming soon. I'm going to be in line. I like Chick-fil-A. And one of the reasons I like it is because it is a Christian-owned organization. And they have great shakes. But anyway, uh, it's a Christian-owned organization. And True Cathy made up his mind from day one that his stores would not be open on the Sabbath. And here's why they're not open on the Sabbath. Listen to his son as he tells us why. Let's watch. Customers often ask us, why are you closed on Sunday? Well, when my dad, Trick Cathy, opened his first restaurant in 1946, he recognized pretty quickly that nobody can work seven days a week and do it very well for long. Dad realized that he needed Sundays to recharge his physical, emotional, and spiritual batteries so that he could oversee his restaurants effectively and happily the other six days of the week. Taking Sunday off 
meant he and my mom could take us kids to church to sort of recalibrate our priorities and to reconnect as a family. But as my dad often says, if you promise to eat with us Monday through Saturday, we'll let you eat with our competition on Sunday. I like to say when we're closed on Sunday and give our operators and team members a time of rest, it makes our food that much better on Monday. All right, now, I wasn't paid to do that, all right? I'm not getting free Chick-fil-A's for that. But I just thought, here's a great example of somebody who's just made up their mind, going against the grain of the culture, you know, money-hungry, that they're going to honor God. And what's really interesting, True Kathy says that in malls where they have a restaurant, even though they're closed one day a week, they outperform all the other restaurants in that mall that are open seven days a week. Why? Because they honor God. God. They put God first. I want to challenge you to do the same thing in your life. I want to challenge you to do the same thing for your kids. Remember what we've been learning through this series. Our kids don't simply learn by, by the words, from the words that we say. They also learn from our actions. Our actions always speak louder than our words. So your kids, my kids, they need to understand that there's one day set aside for us to get the right perspective on God, but also get the right perspective on ourselves. That if we want blessings that that will last eternally, we've got to honor God's way. How about you this weekend? How about your family? Do you celebrate a Sabbath in your life? It doesn't necessarily have to be a Sunday. It could be a Saturday. It could be a Thursday. It could be a Tuesday. But is there a set period in your lives when you just back off from life and recharge spiritually, emotionally, physically, relationally, so you can go at it again and experience the benefits of God? There's a story about two men, Bill and Dave. And they were charged to clear a forest from some land. And they were told that they were going to be paid by the number of trees that they cut down. So they got a certain amount of money for each tree. Well, Bill went out there, rolled his sleeves up, grabbed his axe, and he began to just swing like a madman. I mean, he's just chopping away tree after tree after tree. And Dave's buddy, well, he's out there chopping, but he's also out there telling jokes and telling stories. And every once in a while, Dave would actually just stop and sit on a tree that had already been fell. And, and, and he would kind of fiddle around with his axe. And Bill would kind of watch him out of the corner of his mind and Bill, or his eye. And Bill would think to himself, this guy's nuts, man. Why, why isn't he chopping trees? He's not going to make any money. And, you know, Bill's just hacking away and hacking away. And Dave gets back up and he's cutting some trees. And he's kind of joking around and talking. And then he takes a break again. And, I mean, all day long, Bill's just just taking that axe and wailing away at trees. Well, when the end of the day came and all the trees were counted up, Dave actually ended up cutting down more trees than Bill, who was so sore because he hadn't put his axe down all day long. And he looked at it, Dave and he said, how is it that you who were, who were telling stories and jokes and sitting on a log once in a while, how could you have possibly cut more trees down than me? And Dave just looked at him and he said, well, when I was sitting on that log telling stories, he said, I was sharpening my axe. See, Bill never stopped to sharpen his axe and it got dull. Dave was smart enough to know that if he kept his axe sharp, it would take less energy and he'd cut more trees down. Taking a Sabbath is like sharpening your axe 
taking a Sabbath will actually make you far more productive. Not only in your own life, in your personal life, in your relational life, but also, most importantly, in your spiritual life. Taking a Sabbath is inviting God to be a part of your life, your family's life. In a few moments, one of our pastors is going to come up and lead you through an exercise to help make the Sabbath a reality in your life. But before he does, let me lead you in a prayer. Father, I thank you so much that you are the creator and that you know all about me. You know about each one of us. And you have designed us in such a special, wonderful way that we should have a break one day out of seven in order to reconnect to you and connect to each other in order to recuperate energy and strength and vitality so that we can go at the work and the business that you've given to us. We ask you to forgive us, oh God, for violating that principle. We ask you to forgive us for thinking that we can do things in our own strength and accomplish more by ourselves rather than trusting you. Father, some of us need to change some things in our lives and change some things in our families. I pray that you give us the grace to do that. Some of our children, Lord, are not learning a good lesson about trusting you. They're just learning a lot about the tyrant and slave driver that materialism is. So as we walk away from this weekend, oh God, I pray that you give us the grace and wisdom to do things differently. To dare to trust you for a Sabbath experience. In Jesus' name, amen.